Nearly a decade of reporting on cybersecurity coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chambro. This edition of the ISMG Security Report marks the last one I'll produce and host. With the new year, I'm retiring after nine years with Information Security Media Group, including nearly two years producing and hosting the Security Report, and 45 years as a reporter and editor. Today, I'll get a bit personal, reviewing some highlights from my nine years covering IT security at ISMG. Joining me in this recollection is the man who hired me, my boss and colleague, ISMG Senior Vice President for Editorial, Tom Field. Hi, Tom. Eric, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Thank you so much. For the next few minutes, Tom will take over as interviewer. Being an interview subject is something rare for me over the past four and a half decades. I'm the one who usually asks the questions, and quite honestly, I don't feel comfortable being on the other side of the microphone. Still, Tom, let's give it a shot. Hey, Eric, nine years ago, I interviewed you and it worked out fine. I have no reason to believe this will turn out otherwise. <laughs> Eric, at the time we hired you nine years ago, GovInfo Security was the second site we created after BankInfo Security. You were the first person I hired at ISMG, and you were the founding editor of GovInfo Security. You took over one week before Barack Obama was inaugurated as president in 2009. Is it fair to say that IT security was just becoming a hot topic in government then? Oh, indeed it was, Tom. And the first audio interview I recorded for ISMG was with retired Air Force Lieutenant General Harry Radeke. Radeke was the former director of the Defense Information Systems Agency and co-chaired the Commission on Cybersecurity for the 44th Presidency. The commission members were among the top cybersecurity experts in the nation, and weeks earlier, they issued a report for the new president on how his administration should approach IT security. As Radeke told me, the state of cybersecurity was grave. In the interview, Radeke pointed out a commission recommendation that would have a great influence on how organizations in and out of government would tackle cybersecurity in the coming decade by taking a risk-based approach. For example, the FISMA laws. The Federal Information Security Management Act governs federal government IT security. Which uh, right now are very much uh, geared toward compliance-based requirements. Could be changed to really be more of a risk management approach. We know that criminals and, and outside activity are rampant throughout our information networks today. So when we talk about the Federal Information Systems Management Act, grading our various federal government activities, I think that we should move away from just a, a checklist type of activity and more into really understanding how our information networks are being protected in an operational state. It took Congress five years to reform FISMA, including requiring agencies to adopt a risk-based approach to cybersecurity. Eric, Harry Radigee was one of the first of hundreds of IT security, information risk thought leaders and practitioners you interviewed over the years, not just for audio interviews, but video interviews that we conducted at RSA Conference and at our own Fraud and Breach Prevention Summits. Now, among the people you've spoken to are the most senior White House and Department of Homeland Security cyber leaders and many senators and representatives who chaired influential committees or sponsored cybersecurity legislation. Yep. Shortly after I interviewed Radeke, I sought an interview with Senator Tom Carper of Delaware. Carper, at the time, chaired a Senate panel with cybersecurity oversight. Remember, Tom, GovInfoSecurity was new and no one had heard of it. I covered Tom Carper in the late 1970s as a statehouse reporter for a Delaware Daily newspaper when he served as state treasurer. Carper has a fantastic memory, and when I approached his office for an interview, he remembered me and granted the interview. 
Another early interview subject was Gregory Wilshison. He's Director of Information Security Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Having snagged Radicke, Carper, and Wilshison for early interviews established GovInfo Security and ISMG as an important source of information security news. Well, and it certainly got my attention as well because it made me realize how well you were able to establish rapport with key sources, and they've become linchpins in the coverage that we've done since then. So that's a credit to you. You developed significant sources, not just in Congress, but also in the White House and DHS. I remember you were among the first journalists to interview President Obama's first cybersecurity coordinator, the late Howard Schmidt. A few years later, you developed a reporting relationship with Schmidt's successor, Michael Daniel. Now, as I recall, Eric, one of your interviews with Daniel went, as they say, viral. It was the summer of 2014, Tom. Daniel had been on the job for two years when we sat down to discuss his career, one that was deep in policymaking but not technology. During our conversation, he explained why he saw his lack of technical expertise in IT security as an asset in his job as White House Cybersecurity Coordinator. You don't have to be a coder in order to really do well in this position. Uh, in fact, actually, I think being too down in the weeds at the technical level could actually be a little bit of a distraction in that sense. Well, how so? Part of the way that it's a distraction is that you can get taken up and uh, sort of enamored with the very detailed aspects of some of the technical solutions, and, and particularly here at the White House and in other senior policy positions across the government. The real issue is looking at the broad strategic picture and the impact uh, that the technology will have. That remark put Daniel in the crosshairs of critics, igniting a surge of derisive comments in the blogosphere, on Twitter, and in postings on our website. The critics questioned his qualifications to be a special assistant to the president on cybersecurity because of his lack of technical expertise, with some going as far as characterizing his comment about the lack of technical expertise as bragging. Several days later, I wrote a blog defending Daniel. He wasn't bragging. I felt the critics didn't understand the nature of the job of White House Cybersecurity Coordinator. True, those types of experience would be relevant if Daniel was, say, Chief Information Security Officer, or managed DHS's National Cybersecurity Communications Integration Center, or even purchased IT security hardware and software for the government. But that's not what a cybersecurity coordinator does. He's a policymaker. As Daniel put it, the main responsibility of cybersecurity coordinator is herding cats, trying to get various federal agencies and other stakeholders on the same page when implementing the government's cybersecurity policy. Eric, if you were to think about the hundreds of IT security experts you've interviewed in person, on camera, on recorder over the past decade, would you say you have a single favorite? No, there are a number of uh, thought leaders and practitioners I enjoy covering and interviewing, but I don't want to list them for fear I might leave someone out. Still, one of my favorites is Ron Ross. He's the information risk guru at the National Institute of Standards and Technology and is considered one of the world's foremost authorities on information risk management. Ron's behind most of NIST's top information security and IT risk management guidance. Ron is very down to earth and is a big NASCAR fan. In one of my interviews with him, he explained the lessons he had taken in developing IT risk guidance from NASCAR. The NASCAR world is driving these very high-performance race cars around a track at 200 miles an hour, and the cars are sometimes a couple of inches from these big cement barriers that are around the track that prevent the cars from going out into the stands and injuring fans if they ever crash. There was a very serious accident, uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr., about uh, a dozen years ago. He was killed at Daytona when his car hit the wall at 200 miles an hour and broke his neck. 
NASCAR, they live in the world of that kind of threat. That is their threat model. So they didn't wring their hands about the threat and say, oh, we can't operate in this kind of environment. They decided to design some technology that would protect the driver and prevent uh, drivers from breaking their neck. And that was the, what they call the Hans device, the head and neck safety device. This is the analogy I like to use for our cybersecurity world, is that we will never be able to stop all the cyber attacks, but we can, we can strengthen our systems and our networks by building stronger, more penetration-resistant software, firmware systems, and applications by applying best practices. You know, just like the NASCAR driver gets in that car and they have steel-reinforced doors and they have all these safety devices, the suit they wear and the Hans device, we can take our data, which is processed, stored, and transmitted in these systems, and we can put an infrastructure around that data that is a lot more secure based on good science and engineering practices that sometimes get applied today, but not always. Eric, talk about some of the changes you've seen since covering cybersecurity for these past nine years. Again, you came in just at the start of the Obama administration when cybersecurity was becoming a policy issue. So much has happened since then. Yeah, uh, and there's so much there. I mean, obviously, we, we can't cover it all. The evolution of cloud computing, for one. Back in 2009, one survey showed that one in five IT security practitioners in government had never heard the term cloud computing. And for many of those familiar with it, there exists this jitteriness over its security. The idea of physically sharing a server with another organization sounded risky with the possibility of strategic data being leaked. Today, using reputable cloud computing services is considered an IT security best practice. Another evolution during the past decade has been the position of chief information security officer. Most organizations in and out of government didn't have a CISO when I started covering cybersecurity nine years ago. That became very evident in April 2011 when a breach at Sony Entertainment resulted in the exposure of 77 million customer accounts. Sony didn't have a CISO until September of that year when it tapped one of my sources at DHS, Phil Reitinger, who was one of the department's top cybersecurity policymakers. Sony, unfortunately, was not the exception. A year later, another high-profile company was hacked, the social media concern LinkedIn. Hackers pilfered more than 6.5 million of its members' hashed passwords. I got an exclusive by digging into LinkedIn's governance structure and discovered not only did LinkedIn not have a CISO, it didn't have a chief information officer either. Oh, Eric, those are great stories. I appreciate the history lesson here. There's so much that we've done in, in almost a decade's time. Now, as producer and host of the ISMG Security Report for these past two years, you've interviewed not only the top thought leaders in the industry and practitioners as well, but also your colleagues who cover cybersecurity, and they'll continue to be important voices in the security report as it goes forward. I consider the ISMG editorial staff among the most knowledgeable when it comes to IT security, privacy, and risk management. We have a mature editorial staff, and my colleagues are the experts as well, and they provide insight that you can't find anywhere else. Eric, I know we don't have much time left here. If you were to narrow down to a single topic that's perhaps going to be a challenge to resolve, what would that topic be? Well, two come to mind. Ransomware, for one. It has evolved from malware for criminals to make a few bucks to one that is being used most likely by nation states to cause major havoc online. Another one is encryption and developing a way to break it so law enforcement can get the goods on criminals. The problem is, it seems that a workable solution cannot be found. Here's a segment we ran last year in the security report about that matter that pitted then-FBI Director James Comey against one of the top cryptography experts, Bruce Schneier. Here's James Comey. The tools you are counting on us to use to keep you safe are becoming less and less effective. 
It is not our job to tell the American people how to resolve that problem. The FBI is not some alien force imposed upon America from Mars. We are owned by the American people. We only use the tools that are given to us under the law. And so our job is simply to tell people there is a problem. Everybody should care about it. Everybody should want to understand if there are warrant-proof spaces in American life, what does that mean? And what are the costs of that? And how do we think about that? The fact that the FBI should be able to get a court order to access encrypted data on a suspect's device isn't the issue here. Of course, the ability to search a home or a car or a smartphone with a warrant is desirable. But as far as computing devices, it can't be done effectively. It's not a question of law, but one of technology. Top cryptographic experts say if you give law enforcement a way to circumvent encryption, then criminals and terrorists will figure out a way to exploit that and we gain access to those devices too. Here's cryptographer Bruce Schneier. You know, there's no such thing as a computer whose operations are different if a court order is within five feet of the computer. I, that, I can't do that. That doesn't exist. I can't build that securely. We can't have a world where the good guys can spy and the bad guys can't. All we can get is a world where everyone can spy or nobody can spy. Well, very good, Eric. I know we need to wrap this up, but I want to take the time here just to acknowledge what you have done for us over the past nine years. You raised GovInfo security from nothing to what it is today, and you also were the founding editor behind InfoRisk today. You debuted the security report two years ago, and you've been a constant innovator in how we've covered the news, how we've produced our content, how we've displayed it, and what we've done on our sites, on stage, and before our audience. I just want to wish you well in your retirement and on behalf of Information Security Media Group and our hundreds of thousands of viewers around the world, I want to wish you well and say, you know what, we're really going to miss you. Thanks, Tom. I'd like to thank you and the founder and CEO of ISMG, Sanjay Kara, for giving me the opportunity to cover Congress and the White House, produce and host a newscast, and cover arguably the most important beat of the 21st century. Going forward, my colleague Joan Goodchild will take over producing and hosting the ISMG Security Report. Catch her next time. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Happy New Year and farewell.